When I um, first uh, started uh, senior school, we used to have a, a maths teacher called Mr. Hurst. And um, why I particularly remember him was that um, at the end of the year, well, at the end of Christmas, we used to have exams, and then at the end of the year, we'd have exams. And um, you get your report, you take it home, but you knew what he was going to say. It wouldn't matter whether you got 10% or 90%. He always just used to write under the, the report comments, could do better. I remember thinking to myself, he ought to get one of those stamps from the local library and just go bang, 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 bang. Because it always said, could do better. And it's often said, isn't it, that the biggest room in the world is the room for improvement. Now, if Moses had been in Mr. Hurst's class, he would have certainly got that comment, uh, could do better. Um, we, we've looked at those verses um, just a few minutes ago and it's in the wake of uh, a difficult time for Moses. <clears throat> His first encounter with Pharaoh um, would be a disaster. You can't really say any more than that really. It was a failure. And if we looked at uh, chapter 5 we would, we would see that. Um, in verse 2 of chapter 5, uh, Pharaoh just has a completely dismissive, arrogant attitude to these uh, two brothers, Moses and Aaron. How dare you come here sort of uh, type of attitude. And then as a result of um, the words of Moses and Aaron, Pharaoh just didn't dismiss them, but he made the people of Israel's life even harder. Uh, they provided straw for the building of bricks. They decided in verse 7, chapter 5, that they'd have to go and find it themselves. And if that wasn't bad enough, in the time that it would take them to, uh, to find this straw and make these bricks, they were still expected to produce the same amount of bricks in verse 14 of chapter 5. And they were beaten. They were hard taskmasters, the Egyptians, and they were beaten if they didn't meet up to that quota. So we're going to look at mainly Moses this evening, but often a lot of what I say would perhaps go for, for Aaron as well. <clears throat> but Moses' predicament is summed up by his plaintive cry to God. And if you look at chapter 5... Um, Towards the end, chapter 5, verses 22 to 23, you'll see what I mean. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it you have sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and neither have you delivered your people at all. He felt down in the dumps. He probably felt rubbish. He felt that he had no pull or any authority over Pharaoh. He felt most definitely, as from that verse, that any authority or any credibility amongst his own people 
had disappeared as well. And he had no confidence in himself and his own position. He felt beaten. He doubted himself. He, he even doubted his God. It says in the end, doesn't it? Neither of you delivered your people at all. He was beginning to doubt his God. And he had a grumbling spirit. And um, I am sure that, because this often happens, isn't it, when we feel really down, is that other things that have bothered us in the past start re-emerging. I'm sure that he started thinking, you know, and I killed that Egyptian. What a terrible thing to do. I am a terrible person. How can God want to rely upon me? And he just felt completely a failure. And this led to, uh, in the next chapter, chapter 6, verse 12, and Moses spoke before the Lord, saying, The children of Israel have not heeded me. How then shall Pharaoh heed me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. Now, God doesn't directly answer him. And then he repeats pretty much word for word in verse 30, the one that we read. Moses said before the Lord, Behold, I have uncircumcised lips. How shall Pharaoh heed me? So he was in a difficult and it was in a bad way but by the end of the reading that we just uh, gave by chapter 7 verse 6 we find that Moses and Aaron did so just as the Lord commanded them as they did so we see within those few verses uh, a doubting uh, almost faithless Moses, that's how he felt at the time, very weak, felt very vulnerable, felt very misunderstood, doubting himself, doubting the God who had called him and had commissioned him. But then he changed from verse 6 onwards to a bold and unflinching and faithful servant. And, well, they, they, he had a blip, of course, uh, Moses in Numbers 20, uh, when uh, the people of Israel complained, as they were prone to do, to complain about lack of water. Uh, God told him to speak to the rock, and in impatience with the people, he struck it twice. And as a result of that impatience, he, he was not able to go into the promised land. He had that blip, and Aaron certainly did. In Exodus 32 with the golden calf where he, he bowed to the pressure of the, the Israelites and almost colluded with them and helped them build the golden calf. But from then on, they became bold and faithful servants. So what I want us to look at this evening is how did that happen? Only six, seven verses, but how did it happen? How was God able to change Moses and Aaron from these hesitant, doubting, and easily discouraged people to, as I've just said, bold, strong, reliable, and godly men, recommissioned for God's service. Well, as we consider those verses um, in the beginning of chapter 7, I want to pull out four ways, four promises almost, but four reminders 
that God gave them, um, which led them to almost this, this, this uh, getting them back on the right track and getting them being used. Moses in particular, we're going to concentrate on as a leader of his people to take them out of Egypt. So what were these four reminders? Well, the first one we want to look at is God's promises to both Moses and Aaron. And we see those in verses 1 to 2. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron, your brother, shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and Aaron, your brother, shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of his land. I mean, I mentioned all the other things that, um, that Moses must have felt uh, why he felt so down and discouraged. I'm sure it crossed his mind, and I can't even speak properly. I need my brother to, uh, to speak for me. Well, I'm rubbish, aren't I? Well, what did God promise Moses? Well, it says that in verse 1, and it's quite, initially it looks quite a strange uh, way of ex- expressing it. It says, I have made you as a God to Pharaoh. That doesn't mean to say that uh, he had any... Um, Uh, any position of divinity but what it means and what it means for us as believers this evening is that we are given power from God through the Holy Spirit we are given an authority almost a divine authority to to speak the word of God and to lead uh, through the power of thy Holy Spirit to, to speak the word of salvation and of deliverance. And this is what God is reminding Moses of this, this time. He's reminding him that he is God's workmanship. Yeah, you know, you're, you're my representative. Yes, you feel afraid. You feel uh, doubting. But remember, you are what I have made you that I have saved you, and I have saved you for a purpose. And what God is saying to him here and reminding him quite strongly because he's just preoccupied with his failures is that I will work through your weaknesses. Yeah, you know, you struggle to get the words out properly. I will help you in that way. And in Moses' case, it's through his brother Aaron. But perhaps it's in our case that often God does use our stumbling words and perhaps gives us that confidence perhaps to speak more clearly. What God is saying to Moses here is that your failures and our failures are no barriers to bringing God's word to the unbelievers. God, we know, who uses us, saved sinners. God uses sinners to bring his purposes to pass. Even sinners like Moses, who had um, um, doubted God's word, as I said, he was um, in temper, um, killed the Egyptian. So that's the first thing that would have inspired Moses. But there's a, there's a, a sort of a condition, really, almost on this. It's not just saying that I'm strengthening you and I'm uh, going to overrule your weaknesses. But it says in verse 2, doesn't it? You shall speak all that I command you. 
and in his case, as we said, and Aaron your brother shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of this land. But so first of all, then, the condition is that we must speak all that God has commanded us. We must be faithful, in other words, to God's word. We mustn't water down the gospel. We mustn't, mustn't distort it. We must give the whole uh, word of God of salvation. And remember, as uh, Moses and Aaron here were being reminded that it is the power to save. So, the first way that, um, that, that God was able to strengthen Moses' hand was to be able to show him that despite his weaknesses, despite his doubts, that God is going to continue to use him. And the important thing is that he must speak all that God has commanded him to speak. So that's the first thing that he reminded God's promise to Moses and Aaron. <clears throat> the next thing that would have um, led to Moses um, growing in boldness and trust and faith is that he was reminded of God's sovereignty. Now, it would be true to say, wouldn't it, that Moses and his brother came away from Pharaoh and Pharaoh's palace, Pharaoh's court, believing that Pharaoh held all the cards, that he called all the shots, that he was in control and he was sent packing like um, uh, naughty boys from the court of Pharaoh. They must have believed that when they went into Pharaoh's palace that they'd gone into a, a no-go area as far as God's word and God's power goes. Where Pharaoh, there'd be so much recollect, uh, recognition of it in the, the palace and the, the whole Egyptian empire where Pharaoh reigned supreme. Indeed, um, some say that he was regarded as a bit of a god himself. And perhaps we've been in areas or we mix in circles where it's the danger of thinking that they're like no-go areas for speaking the word of God. Perhaps we go to a football match. Um, perhaps you mix with, with, with friends at work. Um, you know, you go, you go to sort of meetings um, that, you, that you're involved with or voluntary work or whatever, and you feel that if you were to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ, you'd be laughed out of court, as indeed Moses and Aaron was. was. But what God was making clear, that nothing and nobody is exempt from God's control. We have that term... That illustration, don't we, of no-go areas. You know, they say that certain areas in particular in certain inner cities in the country are no-go areas for the police. They just don't go there. They don't, they, don't, they don't feel they've got any authority there and they'll be sent packing as soon as they go. We mustn't as believers ever, ever think that. No, we must never think, I can't say that I'm a Christian. I, when they ask me, what have I done at the weekend? Oh, I couldn't tell you that I've been to church. That'd be right on my back straight away. We must never believe that. 
And perhaps that's what, well, I'm certainly not to think that, but that's what Moses would have come back thinking, that um, as soon as he mentioned God, Pharaoh, and we know that from Pharaoh's responses, treated him and his God with derision. And that's led to him feeling rubbish and doubting uh, and vulnerable. But as God has reminded him, and God reminds us this evening, God is sovereign. God has no go, uh, does not have any go areas. That God is supreme. He's sovereign over all his creation and all aspects of, of life. And we see this in, um, in these verses. In, um, firstly, in verse 3, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. <clears throat> now, we've, uh, our pastors discussed this uh, uh, recently, so I don't want to go into it too much, but I just wanted to quote, um, in respect of this thing that God had hardened Pharaoh's heart, um, Calvin is quoted as saying that God not only withdraws the grace of his spirit, but delivers to Satan those whom he knows to be deserving of blindness of mind and hardness of heart. Let me read that again. God not only withdraws the grace of his spirit, but delivers to Satan those whom he knows to be deserving of blindness of mind and hardness of heart. Yes, God hardened Pharaoh's heart, but that did not um, take away any responsibility from Pharaoh for his, um, his response and his continual response when Moses and Aaron came back to him in succeeding chapters. See, hardening of heart is, is, if we can just imagine, it's like ice on the lake in Sefton Park. You know, you see, you see it when it's been a bit cold for a few days and you get a thin film of ice um, on Sefton Park. And it's, it's thin, it's breakable, um, but then... If we continue to get um, really cold weather, this isn't weather forecast or anything, but uh, if we continue to get really cold weather, it gets thicker and thicker. So, so thick you could drive your car over it. And it reminds me of the Alexander Nevsky and his battle against the Teutonic Knights who had fought on ice, hundreds of horses going over it. It was so hard, it's impenetrable. And this is what happened with Pharaoh. He, he refused to listen to the word of God continually. He was arrogant. He was completely dismissive. And um, we saw that, didn't we, in those readings before. And, um, and eventually, it happens that they're impervious. They're completely um, immune, almost, from the promptings of God through his word. So, Pharaoh, as he was entertaining, uh, if that's the right word, Moses and Aaron, thought that he was in charge. He was the boss. He was in control. As I said, everything in his palace would have pointed to how wonderful he is. And uh, as he's carried in uh, and given an audience to, to Moses and Aaron. But no, God is in charge. And we must remember that ourselves when we think 
about people who just seem to have it all. It's all going well and they seem to be doing so well themselves and that they're independent, and they're untouchable. But no, what uh, God was telling Moses here was that God is sovereign over all men's hearts. Now, secondly, in verse 3, it says, Not only will I harden Pharaoh's heart, but I'll multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. See, God doesn't just only control our hearts, but he controls all aspects of his creation. I think I put a, um, what I meant to, yeah, in the psalm, the, the psalm reference here, but there's many references in our Bible to God's sovereignty over his creation. Um, and it was shown to them in the, the, the ten plagues. Um, indeed, all the ten plagues, we did this, I remember it when I was, preparing this for some of the children's talks that we did about the plagues, but that each plague responded, related to one of the gods that, um, uh, that the Egyptians uh, worshipped um, and showed that God was quite, was over and sovereign over those gods that they, they, that they worshipped themselves. I mean, it, it comes perhaps as I was considering this passage, um, Somebody had thrown up the question, why did God, not just in, in one fell swoop, why didn't he just in one fell swoop deliver the, uh, the Israelites from Egypt straight away? Why, why did he do it piecemeal over this, over this period, over through this process of the ten plagues, over the, the miracles before the, the plagues came? Why did God do it this way? Well, I think there's, there's clear reasons um, that are shown in Scripture. First of all, we know that God is a forbearing God. He's a patient God. He gives people opportunities to, to repent. He gave them opportunities to see that not their gods, not all the things that they put efforts in, they weren't gods, but there was one true God, that he was sovereign. So it gave them the opportunity to see the, the one true God through these signs and wonders. I believe also that it was necessary for um, these displays of God's power over his creation to convince many of the Israelites of God's power and sovereignty. And certainly um, they were quite a faithless bunch on both sides of the Red Sea. You know, when they were delivered, they no sooner stepped out of the Red Sea that they were complaining about, um, about food and about water and many other things. So it was to God's forbearance. It was to convince the Israelites of his power and sovereignty. I think thirdly, the reason that, um, or the, that it was done in, through the plagues and through this uh, long period was to basically strip the Egyptians and Pharaoh of their source of dependence. I mentioned about the plagues that they related to each, each of their gods, but these were a people who relied on their gods, their false gods, relied on magic, uh, relied on their own power and ability, and they regarded themselves as lords of, 
of the world, of the known world. They had a, a great sense of superiority. And it was through this piecemeal, through the plagues, that God was showing them and stripping away from them. They, they're, they're almost their sort of sense that they, they were in control and masters of their own lives and they, that they didn't have to account for their lives to, to anyone but themselves and their own gods. And then lastly, it led to conversions even within Egypt. If we turn to briefly to Exodus chapter 9, verse 20, <clears throat> it says, talking about the seventh plague of the hail, it says, He who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his livestock flee to the houses. So it's often missed out that there were conversions. There were, they weren't all of the same mind as their leader, the Pharaoh. There would have been some of them who realised that, that they were worshipping false gods and that the one true God was the God of the Israelites. So God is sovereign and God showed uh, Moses and Aaron that, um, that he was in control, that he was in, in power and so that they need not be afraid. They need not be cowering before, um, before Pharaoh. They needn't sort of wonder whether they're going to get out of the court alive. They needn't worry about being made a fool of by Pharaoh and his court. That they were God's representative. God had promised them and God was sovereign. He was in control of even this Egyptian bully. The next thing that, um, that we, we learn, learn from this is that, uh, which Moses and Aaron uh, would have picked up, was in verse 5. It says, The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. What God was encouraging and strengthening Moses and Aaron here he was telling them that he will have the victory. They have the message of deliverance for the Israelites and that God will have the victory and he will bring the children out. Now we mustn't at this point, and I've referred to it a little bit before, we mustn't forget the power of the Egyptians. As I said, Pharaoh was regarded as a, a god. Um, in human terms, they were a powerful dynasty and a powerful country, very well educated, um, very um, well read people. They had their own gods who they believed, looked after them. And in, in the Egyptians' view, the Israelites were just foreign slaves under their control. They'd become unwelcome visitors. They'd long forgotten about uh, Joseph being a prime minister and bringing his people in to be with them. They were thought to be a bit of a, a nuisance and they were just putting them to, to slavery and uh, putting them under their control. But, but God had promised, let's just turn back to, to Exodus chapter 6. Um, 
in, in those first eight verses. And in those first verses that God had promised them that they'd be delivered. They seemed to be under an iron rule uh, of Pharaoh who had no, no interest and nothing in his, his interest to let them go. Um, and they just seemed to be, you know, just stuck there. But God had promised them that they'd be delivered. And not only that, in verse 8, I'll bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. Not only will they be delivered from Egypt, but they'd be brought into the promised land. And that God, they here told Moses and Aaron that this is what is going to happen. You know, you might not think it at the moment, and there will be times in the future where there'll be challenges. Once you've got over the other side of the Red Sea, there'll be delays, there'll be discouragement, there'll be times of unbelief, but it will happen. God's word will come about as, as unbelievable that it might appear that, that this poor, small minority of unarmed people would somehow be allowed to leave by their persecutors and masters was, was unbelievable. But what God was telling to Moses, this is going to happen. I mean, it's ama amazing, really, for us to think that <clears throat> as sinners that, that, that we can be reconciled, we can be made one with a holy God. Now, how, how could that happen? A God who cannot look upon evil. God has achieved that. He's achieved that through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for us. And that's an amazing story, but God will save his people. And if you this evening call upon his name, if you're not believers, he will save you. And what he's reminding Moses here is not what Moses can do, because Moses already, and Aaron, have got an idea of how weak and pathetic at times they, they come over. It's not what God can do. It's not what we can do as Christians, as we seek to witness by good works and by speaking the gospel, whether it's round the doors or with our friends and relatives and neighbours, but it's all of God and his love for his people, however sinful we are. So God, in that other way, strengthened them, made them feel confident, made them have a spring in their step for the next time they would go to see Pharaoh, and that would be quite a number of times in the coming chapters. <clears throat> and lastly, God, and this is almost a summary, really, of what we've said, is that God strengthened them and encouraged them through reassurance. Now, Moses, through the mouth of Aaron, had been given divine authority, hadn't he, to bring the message of deliverance and bring praise to God. It would lead to arduous work and responsibility for him and much discouragement for him. But God has told him it won't be easy. Verse 4, but Pharaoh will not heed you. There will be op opposition. God has, well, maybe Moses thought it was going to be easy. Maybe he thought, I might have to go once or twice, but eventually Moses um, 
thought, may have thought, oh, Pharaoh will let him go. But what God is, um, is telling them here is that they should be prepared for times of disappointment and times of discouragement, that we shouldn't have always unrealistic expectations, that Moses shouldn't have unrealistic expectations that just a, a few words and uh, Pharaoh's going to get off his, his uh, throne, bow down to him, and everything's going to be okay. That there will be discouragement. God is preparing him for that. There will be times when he'll feel, he'll feel that it's not going anywhere. Perhaps as these plagues go, and it looks as if Pharaoh's going to change his mind, and then he says he does, and then he changes back to what he's done before. And then he knows as they're going towards the promised land, there's going to be discouragements. He's prepared for that. But God reassures him that that will happen. And God reassures us that, that that is the case, that we should never become discouraged. We must continue to do as God commands. We must never forget that God is in control. As we've said, salvation is of the Lord. And out often of the most unpromising situations, God will save his people. Now, just before we finish, the, uh, the, the last verse that we read was that Moses was 80 and Aaron was 83. They both had 40 years left of life. They were in towards the tail end of their middle age going into old age and I read this a few times and I thought why is that there and probably what I think it is is that what God is saying through his words through Moses and in, um, in Exodus is that no matter what your stage in life we must be faithful disciples doesn't matter whether we're young or young in the faith or young in years doesn't matter as if we're getting our pension and we've got aches and pains and there's no retirement from being God's disciple. There's no sabbaticals in the Christian life. There's no annual leave or time in lieu as a Christian. That God has called us to preach, to speak, I mean, doing that in before Christmas, the word of God, the word of deliverance, just like he'd given that to Moses and Aaron. But the confidence and the reassurance and the strength that he gave to Moses and Aaron, he gives to us today. God promises you that no words will return void. God is still a sovereign today, in 2019, as he was in Moses' day. And that God will save his people. It is ultimately God's work. And we can rely on him. And we are children of God. He will look after us. He will encourage us when we need it. He'll reassure us when we need it. He'll rebuke us at times when we need it as well. God will look after us. And we must ensure that when we do, not, do speak to others about our Lord Jesus Christ, 
first of all, that we do, that we know the word, that we, we, we resolve this year to know God's word greater, that we resolve to know the Lord Jesus more as our personal saviour, but that we will speak all the words, that we won't give half the gospel, that we'll show that people are sinners, but there is the great love that while we were yet sinners, the Lord Jesus Christ died for us. Amen.